Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Let's get into the word today. We're going to be in First uh, Samuel chapter 16 and 17. I'm picking up where Jordan has left off, and he's talking about Saul uh, becoming king and God giving him the king they wanted. And, uh, you know, Saul uh, was somebody who looked like a king, and uh, he was big, his shoulders were broad, he, was, he stood ahead above other men and uh, just looked like somebody who ought to be king, which is exactly why he became king, because he looked like a king. People say, hey, he looks like a king. He must be our king. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see how this king thing works out and how it's played out through history. I mean, if you've ever been on castle tours in England or even here in Germany, and you, they're kind of explaining what's happening, and you go into the great rooms, and in those big center halls where the throne is, there's usually a painting of who? Jesus. There's usually a painting of Jesus in there, and he's got other kings, earthly kings around him. And this idea that that kingship is handed down from God to people is something that, that has continued on through history. Of course, not the monarchy is largely dead throughout the world, but still we see this um, this trickle-down thing where they get this from. And it all comes from God appointing kings over Israel. All right? and, and so here we have Saul, who God... The people demand, but and God gives them what they're asking for. You know, sometimes you better be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. And uh, as you grow up, you know, as a baby Christian, you kind of, you pray a little selfishly. You know, God, help me here. God, do this for me. God, help my, this and help. As you mature, as you grow, you will start, your prayers will shift, and then they will change, and they will go from God, give me, give me, give me, to God, let your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You start to understand that, that God answers prayers, and sometimes he gives you what you want, but sometimes what you want is not exactly what you need. And this comes with maturity. This comes with time in the Lord, and maybe it comes from just hearing this message and me telling you that. Let's hope that, right, that you're just kind of jumping the curve a little bit. But whatever God has for you is better than whatever you could imagine, Whatever plans he has for you is, is better. And God is going to show us that as he appoints a new king instead of Saul. I once heard a, a great preacher and Bible teacher, John Piper, I heard, once heard him say, everyone worships something. Now, I don't think this is unique to John Piper, but I most, most remember him saying it as he was preaching about worship. Why worship exists and what worship is and he made the point that every single person on the face of the earth is worshiping something. We all sit under the rule and reign of someone or something. Something is the king over our lives. Now, hopefully for everyone in this room, that king is Jesus. That's my hope. I hope it is, uh, you know, he's my king. I hope he's your king. But even though Jesus is my king, sometimes I don't act like he's my king, and I'm sure you do as well, right? Something, you know, if Jesus is king, then he has rule and authority over our lives, but sometimes we don't act like that. And now, for the world, those who would deny Christ, those outside the walls of the church, would say, well, 
you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. Maybe there's an intelligent being out there somewhere, but I don't know if he's God. Maybe they're agnostic. Maybe they're atheists. But I want to tell you that even those people are worshiping something or someone. Some worship trees. Some worship animals. Some worship themselves. Probably the most prolific object of worship in the world inside the church and outside the church is the worship of oneself. We worship ourselves. What we want comes first. Then maybe we'll consider what God might want for us. So we, in essence, usurp the authority of our creator God and we start worshiping his creation. Whether it's people, ourselves, whether it's somebody else, our children, things that are not necessarily evil in themselves, but we make evil by worshiping them. See, good things become God things and then they become bad things. And uh, you've heard me say this before, idolatry is such a rampant problem in our culture and we worship what God creates rather than the creator. We worship our jobs. We worship, again, our kids. We maybe worship our spouse. We worship our savings account, all right, our car. We worship things, things God's created. These things cannot make us happy. And isn't, are, is, are these things really worthy of our worship? As I say it, you're probably thinking, that sounds dumb. Who worships their car? Who worships their job? Who worships their bank account? A lot of people. A lot of people do. And I agree with you. It sounds stupid when we're talking about comparing these things to God. It just sounds dumb. It sounds ignorant. But the truth is, these things every day are luring people away. And, and uh, the shiny thing is, is always attracting our hearts. That, that next thing. Now, only you and God know who the king of your heart is. Hello? I mean, I've been in churches where I've been fooled for a long, long time by people. And something comes out, and it's just unbelievable. Things that have been going on for years and years and years, and you're just like, what? What? You know, you just can't really know anyone. But you know you, but you know who knows you better than you do? God. God knows who the king of your heart is. Everyone worships something. And Saul, King Saul started worshiping himself. King Saul started putting himself as the supreme ruler over Israel. And God was not happy with Saul. And Samuel, God's prophet, is lamenting. He's sad that he even anointed Saul as king. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. God is going to set aside for himself a new king. So read with me. We're going to skip around a little bit because we're going through 16 and 17. And though I'd love to read all of it because it's awesome, the entirety of these two chapters is awesome. And I encourage you to read them in in full on your own uh, later on throughout the week and follow the devotional that we have online. But for today's purposes, we're going to read verse 1, we're going to read verse 6, we're going to take a little pause, we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to continue on. So verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, who I have provided for my 
for I have provided myself a king among his sons. I love the way Samuel's just sitting there. He's feeling all sorry for himself. He's feeling all bad. And God just says, get up, get up. Oswald Chambers says, moods don't go by praying. They go by kicking. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Get up. Isn't God still God? Isn't God still in charge? Isn't God going to forsake you? No, right? Get up. Just get up. Kick that mood to the side. Now skip down with me to verse 6. When they, when they came, he looked on Eliab and, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed before him. So, Samuel comes to Jesse's sons. He sees the biggest, broadest son, just like Samuel, and he thinks, surely this is the king. This is the new king. Samuel's judging Jesse's sons how we most likely judge people, by how they look. Even the most woke person in this room still judges people by how they look. First impressions. Maybe, maybe you try not to. Maybe, maybe we do everything we can not to, right? And maybe it's only fleeting, but in a moment, we make judgments about people when we see them. That's kind of the way we are. Now, if we let this fester and we don't get to know somebody, that's wrong, right? But, you know, if sometimes it serves purposes, right? Like, you know, you see a guy carrying a 12-inch blade around. You might want to make a perimeter around that guy, right? You might not want to walk right towards him uh, because he looks like he's wanting to do some harm, right? And, uh, you know, just first impressions do make a difference, right? They do make a difference in how we see people. And, uh, you know, again, we all like to say, not me, not me. I never do that because that's what we're supposed to say. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's okay. What I'm saying is that's, that's the way we're wired up to do, right? We're just wired up to kind of make those judgments. And here's Samuel. He's no different. He's a man of God. And he's just like, boom, this is our king. This guy is definitely our king. And he's looking from the outside in. What's that mean? Well, when we look at people from the outside in, we think they look good, so they must be good, right? They look strong, so they must be. They seem courageous, so they are. This is, how many times have you ever been wrong about this? And why, why is that saying, say, never judge a book by, why is that a, why is that a popular idiom? Because it's, it's, it's true. You know, when we look at people and we judge them, and then I think it's a big mistake to look at somebody and say, okay, now this guy, this guy's a little sketchy, right? But, you know, and then we, we go out to coffee or we get to know him, and we're like, wow, this guy is awesome, right? Or this, this woman is awesome. What a testimony they have. I'll tell you one of the most, uh, uh, can I use you as an example, Dr. Clark? May I? You know, Dr. Clark had been coming to church for a while, and, you know, she kind of keeps to herself. That's cool. That's cool. Maybe she's a little introverted like my wife. That's cool. But I sat down with her, and I got to know her. This woman has a fabulous testimony of where God has brought her through her life, you know. And, you know, it's just like, okay, you, you could say, well, you know, and maybe it's the extrovert me that pushes on introverts a little bit and says, hey, I want to get to know you, right, you know. But just get to know people that are around you, especially inside the church, man. You know, I mean, the, everybody in this room has a story to tell. Everybody in this room has a, a testimony. And I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of times it will blow you away. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in growth group in those first few weeks of growth group and everybody's sharing their testimony. And I've been blown away 
through the things God has brought them and where they are today. And just like looking at them, like, I would have never guessed that, right? Because now today they've got their junk in order, right? Their lives are pretty cool. They've got their life kind of together. And you just assume that they've always had their life together. Well, they must, you know, their dad must be a preacher or something, you know. And, uh, you know, they've probably been in church their whole life. No. God has completely transformed people. And just, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. That outside-in thing, it just never, never works. Jesus warned us about judging people this way. Let's, let's turn to Matthew. If, you, know, you don't have to turn to it. Just, we're going to come back to Samuel. I'm going to have it up here on, what do you call it, the Sky Bible, Jordan? Yeah. Sky Bible. Is it up here, Marcus? Let's see it. Matthew chapter 23 or something, right? Is Marcus up there? Yeah. Did, I, did I forget it? I forgot it? Okay. Let me read to you Matthew 23 and 25. It's pro- you're probably familiar with it. It's the woes that Jesus is. Oh, there it is. Bam. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. How many of you hate a hypocrite? Yeah, everybody. Good. Some of you are smart. You know that's a trick question, right? For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Look at, Jesus is saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't just look at the people who look right and who act right, but where is the fruit in their lives? What, What are they producing That's what we ought to be looking at. Let me tell you, keeping this straight, that's the easy part. That's the easy part, right? Wearing the right things, even saying the right things, that's easy. But being right, getting right, that's a completely different thing. That's the hard work of following Jesus. Now, Jesus tells us that following him is easy. His yoke is light. What's he saying? He's saying, well, the burden of the world is very, very heavy, And while following Jesus isn't always easy, I want to testify before you today that it's way easier than being sucked up into the world. Amen? That when I, too, have not always been a Christian, right? I I became a Christian at the age of 21, 22 years of age. And uh, I lived pretty hard for those first 22 years. And it was full of heartbreak and disappointment. And while following Jesus hasn't always been easy, I want to tell you that it's always been easier than where I was at. It's always, always, always been easier than where I was at. Even when it's hard, it's like a good kind of hard. I don't know how to explain it. But Jesus, I mean, this, these are the people he's hammering. You know, we like to think of Jesus, you know, just, if, gee, God is love, man. He is. But he loves us enough to call us out. He loves us enough to not let us walk in ignorance. He loves us enough to not let us walk in sin and to walk in those things that are going to hurt us. Let's go to verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Skip over to verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 12, and he, he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil that, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now what happens to David here in these next few verses, as we now will be turning into uh, chapter 17, uh, as we move into chapter 17, what's happening is, what's going on with David? Here he is, anointed king over Israel. What happens? He goes right back out to the sheep. How many of you grew up on a farm? Raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, right, if you grew up on a farm. Okay, a couple of you. Every year in, our, in the church that we were in before, I was on staff on before we came to Germany, we had a living nativity, right, out in front of our parking lot. And we had sheep and we had donkeys. And I grew up in a city, and I knew nothing about this. But all of a sudden, I'm in charge of herding these sheep over a, from where we were keeping them in a pen out to the front where we had the living nativity. Sheep are dumb, y'all. I mean, just stupid. And uh, th they would run right out into traffic if I'd let them. You know, we were kind of on a busy street, and you're, you're like pulling them, and, and, and then you're kind of trying to hold them back, and something s spooks them. Let me tell you something else about sheep. They can jump really high. I mean, even the fattest of them, they can really jump. And I mean, just about scared of pudding out of you, you know, just like, bam. It's like, what happened, you know? And uh, I just, this is what David goes back to. He's anointed king, and he goes back to that. Not just one or two or five sheep, but a whole herd of sheep. Is that what they're called? A flock, flock of sheep. And, and that's what he's doing. It's like he was just anointed king among all his, of, of his brothers, and he just goes back to that. Now, this, this, this should say something to us. Let's just take a minute here. You know, we get saved, we're born again, you know, and we rightfully enter into the inheritance that through Christ we have, right? Right? We are sons and daughters of God, right? But immediately we start thinking we're better than people sometimes. We start putting ourselves above them. And maybe it doesn't happen right away, but it starts creeping in in the first couple years of being born again Christian. We're like, okay, we start looking at the world differently and think, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not like him, you know, <laughs> you know. And we start getting like that. But we we here David goes right back to the sheep. You think God's teaching him something? You think God's showing him something that first you got to be a servant before you can lead. First, you got to go and you got you to take care of these sheep. It's just no accident that he tells Peter later on in the New Testament, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, God, you, Jesus, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. And let me tell you, sometimes sheep can irritate you. Sometimes they can frustrate you. Sometimes they want to jump right out into traffic. Sometimes head on, but you're there as a shepherd, you're there to take care of them. You're there to help them. You're there to be gentle with them. How many of you know I'm not talking about sheep anymore, right? 
God doesn't look at the person from the outside. He looks into a person. He sees the heart. He knows exactly who your king is. He knows exactly who you trust. When it really, when it, when it really comes down to it in your house, in your family, who do you trust? What's the first thing you do? What's, the, what's your go-to plan when the unexpected happens? So now we're going to move over to verse seven, chapter 17, verse 23, and we're going to see where David put his trust. We're going to see why God chose him. See, the first, the, at first the people chose their king. Now God is going to show them what happens when he picks the king, right? And he's got, he's got a man after his own heart in David. So verse uh, 23 in chapter 17 is where we're going to start. As he talked with them, behold, now, okay, I, well, let me bring up to speed. David is out. He's still an errand boy. He's taking care of the sheep, but he's also, his brothers are out on the battle lines with the Philistines, and his dad says, hey, go take them some bread and cheese and feed them and then come back. This is where David is now, right? Right, that's where we're at. Verse 23, and as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. Challenge, what, what, what are the same words as before? He's challenging all of Israel. He says, you come out and fight me, and whoever wins, the, the, the other country will serve the other, right? So if, if the Philistines win, we'll serve Israel. If Israel, uh, excuse me, if the Philistines win, Israel will serve us. If Israel wins, the Philistines will serve Israel. That's what he's saying. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, they came, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of its, his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear shall also deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, uh, Go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Now David's older brother, the big strong one, the one that was tough, he, got, he was a little indignant about this whole situation. And he's like, who do you think you are, right? Who do you think you are? You're like, the, you're like you're my little brother, and you're by, by far the runt of the litter. Go back and take care of the sheep and eat cheese, you know? He's just irritated that David came up with this audacity to say, I can do this. I'm going to handle this. And David, you know, he may be very handsome, very beautiful. He may play the, the leer, right? Or the harp. And when we, you know, I think when we see David, we don't see like, you know, what, what we picture as warrior, right? We picture brave heart, right? That's what we see. We see like blue on the face, huge sword as tall as he is that no man could ever handle for some reason. But that's in all the movies, that's the sword they have, right? And, and he's just, he's just going to take care of business. This is not who David is at all. David looks more like Bruno, right? Uh, maybe from, uh, you know, 
Sasha Barra Cohen fame. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, just kind of a little, maybe, maybe he's a little effeminate. Maybe he's like, you know, he's very soft looking. He's got like, he wears rouge. I don't know. But he is not who we think of with, that is like a warrior, right? He's ruddy. He's handsome. He's beautiful. These are the words that the Bible describes him. This is not somebody, I think, going and, and doing what David is about to do, right? And we have this story that we learn as kids. And, you know, hey, kid, people who are just, children who are just joining us from Kids Church, you're going to hear the adult version of this story today, okay? Because it doesn't end with a sling and a rock and him falling down dead. It doesn't end that way, all right? And David is about to, it's about to get very real for Goliath. Because David's king was the Lord. And his confidence wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his beauty. It wasn't in his ability to play the harp. It wasn't in the fact that he could even sling a stone, his confidence was fully in the Lord, and he knew that this, that God was going to give him victory in this situation. There was no way David should have had victory. There was no way he could have even had that confidence apart from the Lord. But we can learn from David two vital things to help us when we face Goliaths, when we face obstacles that are way too big for us. We can trust in the Lord's deliverance. And trusting in the Lord's deliverance means looking back at what the Lord has done. Has God ever done anything for you? Has God ever, has, number one, if you're a born again Christian today, I want to tell you God has done more for you than you ever deserve, period, right? He took all of your sin and all of your unrighteousness in exchange for that. You know, it wasn't a very fair trade. In exchange for that, he gave you his righteousness, your unrighteousness for his righteousness. That's a miracle in itself. And if God never does anything else for you in the entirety of your life, he's done more than you could ever ask for, expect, or demand. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. And so here's God, and he, and he has not, for most of us, he has not stopped there. Through our lives, we have seen God move in mighty ways, whether it be divine healing, deliverance out of a financial situation that you yourself got in, right? Kids, you know, problems with kids or sicknesses in that, in that area or whatever it is, God has done great things in your life. When we are facing those obstacles, isn't it quick, aren't we quick to forget from those things that God has done for us, you know? But here, we're instructed, David's looking back. He's like, hey, I took out a bear with my bare hands. Hey, I killed a lion, right? I think I can handle this dude, right? God has done this. I think God can also do that, amen? And uh, we, we'll, we'll do well to remember. Somebody asked me this morning about the possibility of going to two services here at the church, and I want to tell you that I'm intimidated by that. I'm not really, you know, like, while I'm very sad to see people go home this summer, uh, I'm also thinking, okay, we don't have to go to two services just yet, okay? And that's just kind of my mentality, whether that's right or wrong. Um, but I think, you know, if we move to two services, who am I to doubt the Lord, right? He did, he's done all this so far. He'll make a way. We'll have all the volunteers we'll need. We'll have all the finances we'll need. We'll have all the space we need. He's done it all before. He'll do it again. Amen. He'll do it again. And so when you face obstacles in your life, whether it's a PCS, whether it's a, a you know, massive changes, maybe even you're retiring from the military or something, and that's intimidating, right? And you're thinking about, what am I going to do next? What's the next step? Just trust the Lord. He's done it all so far, hasn't he? He'll take care of it. Look back at the past victories you had. Israel 
In Exodus 14, it says this, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord and in his servant Moses. Looking back, we already went through this in Exodus, but the Israelites saw deliverance on an epic scale from from Egypt, then through the Red Sea, and they saw the destruction of the Egyptian army, and they they, they drew strength from what God has done. Yeah, they did stupid things too, but they also drew strength for faith. To Hey, God has done a lot for us. We can take this next step. Second thing David does is he trusts in the Lord by taking action. Now, this is really important. As pastor, when I ask people to volunteer, the, most, the, thing, I hear about the, the thing I hear in reply the most is, I'll pray about that. I'll pray about that. That's fine. I, I think you should pray about it. How long do you need? All right? Like six months later, are you done praying? Did you hear from the Lord? You know, has God spoke to you yet whether or not you're supposed to work in preschool once a month? I mean, what, what's the deal? You know, I'm not really asking for a kidney here. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, if you're going to pray about it, pray about it. That's fine. But take action. Right? Let me tell you, serving the Lord is an opportunity. Right? And we want the opportunities we want, right? Maybe we're anointed king, and we get sent back to herd sheep and, and shovel out cheese, and we're like, hello, didn't you see the oil on my head, dad? I'm the king of Israel. This is, you know, duh. But no, he just does it. He just becomes a servant, and he, he just fills the need. And he goes up there, and guess what? For 40 days, the Philistine has been coming out and challenging Israel, and nobody's responding. And David just steps up and says, hey, nobody's doing this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. Church, let us all have servant hearts like that. When there's a hole in a ministry, there's a hole in something to do, and you can do it. We step up and we just say, I can do that. I'll do it. I'll fill that gap. I'll fill that hole. I'll take action. If you have to pray about it, fine, pray about it. But if the Lord tells you that you're not supposed to be doing anything in this church, that you're not supposed to be contributing at all, that you have no part to play in the ministry to others, let's schedule an appointment. Let's talk about it. I want to hear that word from the Lord, okay? I want to hear that. Because I that's, that's not the Lord. That's you, right? We're part of a family, and family serves. You know, I, I come from a big Irish-Italian family, and we, we cooked meals together. We did all the dishes together. The, the hub of our home was the kitchen, and we, we just did all of that together and, and as family, and family means pitching in. It means do, working together. It means everybody contributing, right? Maybe there was that one uncle who was always passed out, Right, But do you really want to be that in the church, that passed out uncle after 12 paps just sitting on the couch? Is that who you want to be? No, right? Nobody wants to be that guy. And we look at David and Goliath, and we see giants. You know, we see like a giant. Like, how big was David? Well, I, I kind of did some math here. His coat weighed 55 kilos. That's like 110 pounds for most of us, right? 55 kilo co- coat. That's a heavy coat. His, the, the tip of his spear weighed 12 pounds or, six, or 13 pounds, 6.6 kilos. The tip of his spear, man, he's huge and he's intimidating. And maybe we don't face giants like that today, but we've got people we work with that we just can't figure out 
that are just making our lives miserable. We have bullies at school who just won't ever seem to leave us alone, who are always picking on us because we have red hair, because we're husky, or whatever the reason may be, right? That's what we used to call it back in my day, right? Oh, Matt's just husky. I've always looked like this, y'all. I'm sorry. But whatever it is, you know, we have giants in our lives, things that we have to face head on. I want to encourage you, take action. Look back at what God has done and look forward to what he is going to do. Now, if you're a student here, I'm not telling you to go sock anybody in the nose. What I'm telling you is to own who you are in Christ. And, and, and especially young women in high school who are consumed with their bodies and what they look like. I want to tell you something. Jesus made you exactly who you are. He loves you exactly who you are. And let me tell you, you're going to find the right guy someday who's going to love you for exactly who you are. It's not going to depend on how skinny you are or how many selfies you put on Snapchat. It's not going to matter. Be a woman of God that you might attract a man of God and that you might live well all your days. Somebody say amen. All the fathers, please, for the love of God, say amen. So here is David. He's like, Goliath, he's nothing. Everybody's looking at David like, this is going to be good, y'all. This is going to be good. Now, either David is going to win or we are going to see the biggest whooping we have ever seen, ever. So let's get to it. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you've come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And see, this is the non-kids church version. And I will, give you the, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that... Now see, this is, now he's talking to Israel. All this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and with spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Verse 48, and the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. And David ran quickly towards the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and slung it. And he struck the Philistine in the forehead. And the, and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Now this is where the kids church version ends because we're like, oh, he killed David with the stone. Well, no. Uh, verse 50, and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone because he knocked him out and he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was a sword in the hand of, there was no sword in the hand of David. So David ran and stood over the Philistine and he took his own sword and he drew it out of his sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head. Ugh. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I mean, he didn't, just, he didn't just beat Goliath. He totally humiliated him in death. The victory was totally, unequivocally the Lord's. It was a stone, a small rock that was Goliath's downfall. And David goes over and, God, and he does exactly what God 
told them to do. To kill the Philistine and to cut off his head. And by this, God is showing all of Israel, which you could never do, which you are too afraid to do, I can do. I can do. And if I've called you to do something, and I've told you to do something, I'm calling you to stand up by faith and do it. And even if it seems impossible to you, even if it seems like you can't do it, I will be with you, and you will have the victory. The story, the story of David and Goliath is famous. And if we, if we can be very reductionist about it and just look, okay, this is, it's a great little story. It tell, it's like the little engine who could Bible style, right? That's what it is. Like, oh, you can do anything, Joey. You can do it. You might only be three foot tall and 18 years old, but you can play middle linebacker for the Seahawks. You can do it. You can do it. No, right? That's not true. Some people are just not made to play professional football. Some people are not made to do some things, okay? But if God has told you to do something, your only response, your only response is to do it, period. I mean, really, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? God said, do it. What are you going to say? Nah, 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 I don't feel like it. You know, is God, is he Lord? Is he Lord? If he's Lord, then when he says do something, you need to do it. And this story is not about David. It's not really about Goliath. It's about God. It's about God's power. It's about God's might. It's about his authority. It's about his love. It's about his mercy. It's about his kingdom. And ultimately, it's about his son. Because while David was a great king, probably the most famous king throughout Israel, he's not the king. Somebody say amen. amen. Because David fell. David fell short with Bathsheba, right? We know, we'll get to the story. I don't want to spoil it for future sermons, right? But you, most of you know the story, right? Where he, he, he commits adultery and he, he takes another man's wife and he, yeah, he's not perfect, but he's a vision. He's a, he's showing us what the king might look like in Jesus. And so ultimately this story is about Jesus, much like the whole Bible is about Jesus. And this battle against the Philistine, it's not about Israel against the Philistines. It's about the Lord. And I want to tell you that this rings true even today, that every battle you face is the Lord's. It's the Lord's to win. Now the Lord brings us through circumstances and he brings Goliath into our lives. Because let me tell you something, it was the lion who got David ready for the bear. It was the bear that got David ready for the Goliath. And when we face trials in our life, when we face circumstances that seem insurmountable on our own, but we overcome, we're ready for that next challenge in our life. See, people who do nothing for God are the people who just sit there, who just sit there like all of Israel did for 40 days. Like, that's too much for me, man. That's too much for me. But it's the people of action, the people who put their faith and their trust in God and stand up and are ready to be counted, even maybe even be humiliated. You know David could have lost, right? And it must have went through his head. This guy's going to squash me into jelly, right? Maybe that was going through his head. But he stood up and he said, I'm going to do this. And he has the victory. There's no, there's no victory if you never get off your butt. There's, no, there's never going to be victory. Never. So why do we fight in our own? So here, the victory is the Lord's. God's calling David. But 
And, and we see God, we just see God move mightily. Now, can you do things in your life in your own power? Yes. Right? You could be fairly successful, right? And never give any glory to God. You can be fairly successful. You can accomplish a lot career-wise, maybe even be a halfway decent father or mother. You can you can do a lot. I could probably I could probably still pastor this church and not have just like have no prayer life, no relationship with God. You know, you can do it. You can do a lot. Why do we insist on doing stuff in our own strength? Why do we insist on only taking on things that we're basically guaranteed victory? You know, why are we so afraid to step out and do something great for God? I have two theories here. And this is Matt. This is me. This is what, I, this is what I've come up with this week. Either we don't trust God or we don't want to share our glory with him. I think the last one is probably the most true. Either we don't trust God or we don't want to share our glory with him. We want it to be us, right? We want it to be us who got that promotion. We want it to be us who gave that gift. We want it to be us who made this possible. We want it to be us who got through that training. We want it to be us. And we're, we don't want to share the glory with God. We want it to be our glory. We want the recognition you know, now we might not talk about that at parties, but that might be what's happening, right? We're, so, we're reluctant to step out and do anything great that we can't win on our own because we don't really, we want it to be our victory. We want to, to win that. But I would tell you today that I, when I look out upon our church, I see great things happening, but I see greater things still. I see people with, that are doing great things, but I see greater things on the horizon. The more we die to ourselves, the more we release ourselves and give ourselves fully over to God, the more God will use us, the more powerfully God will use us. I think the question really comes down to, do we want to attain victories for God? Or do we just want to keep getting victories for ourselves? Do we want to further the kingdom of God with the gifts he's given us? Or are we content just to further our own agenda. Where do we want to be? I want to tell you today, in just in conclusion, God knows your heart. He knows who your king is. I want to ask you today, do you know who your king is? Who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords in your life? Until you know that, until you sort it out, you will never be ready to face the Goliaths that come into your life. You've got to sort it out. Who is the Lord of lords and King of kings in your life? Who really deserves all the glory for everything that has happened in your life? I'd also like to remind you that the courage to come, to continue pushing forward and continue moving forward is by looking back at what God has done in your life, by looking back at what God has done in the Word, and looking forward to what He can do through you. And remind you that there's no problem too big or too great for God. There's, no, there's nothing that God cannot lay waste to with a whisper. He can just whisper it, and it's over. You know, our words are words. God's word is power. God's word is authority. God's word is creation. He spoke the universe into existence. There's nothing he cannot do. 
I just think we serve many times a very, very small God who we expect to work in very predictable ways that we can understand. But that's not always how God works. He's still on the throne. The victory is still his. I mean, see, this is where I got amped up this week. I was writing this down, and I was like, I was telling, like, I have an exclamation point behind each and every one of these statements. Jesus is on the throne. The victory's been won. His bride has been redeemed. We are his, and we are to live like we know that, right? Like David. Like, we're called to stand out from the lines of people who are too afraid to do anything and step out in faith and just do it, to be counted, right? I mean, that just, okay, that just gets me excited for what God will do if we'll just stand up and be counted and just say, you know, I don't care what the, what the repercussions are. I don't care. I, my faith, my trust, my hope is in Christ alone. That's it. This David and Goliath story is only a story unless we take it to our heart. It's just a story. It's just, it's just a flannel board, man. It's just, it's just a little take-home sheet for the kiddos. But it's, we've got to put it right here. We've got to have that heart like David. We've got to have that confidence like David. We've got to have that faith like David. Because isn't our God the same God? Isn't he the same king? Isn't he the same but don't we have a more perfect king today who's leading us, who's guiding us in Christ Jesus? Someone who will never let us down, who, somebody who will never send us away to battle to die so he can take our wife. Isn't that the king we have? Yeah. A king that we can fully put our trust in and our hope in. That's who we have today. That's our king. That's our Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.